0: This is the Ohm Genomics Podcast, a casual conversational podcast about the non-scientific parts of life in the biotech industry. We're your hosts, Maria Nadistad and
1: Robert de Bucalil.
0: This is episode two. You might be an imposter. I
1: beg your pardon.
0: And that's okay.
1: <laughs> so in this episode, we wanted to talk about imposter syndrome. When you're in a field like bioinformatics that is so interdisciplinary, obviously you can't know everything but that might make you more prone to imposter syndrome. So what is imposter syndrome?
0: That's right. Uh, So imposter syndrome is something that comes up all the time, uh, especially in any women in tech talks and conversations and so on. So it's something that I hear about just all the time. Um, A quick definition before we go deeper on it, it is, basically feeling like a fraud, like you don't deserve to be here, like you're not smart enough or capable enough for the role that you're in. And like the people around you are going to find out and somehow kick you out of the program or your job or something once they find out that you are just not good at anything and way worse than the people around you right. somehow. So Robert, I hear that it comes up less in your circles, but have you ever felt imposter syndrome yourself?
1: Well, yes and no. So one of the things that I find interesting about the imposter syndrome discussions is that there's an underlying assumption that it is always a mindset issue and that is not related to your skills. And I think that I'm sure that's often the case, but in in my imposter syndrome story, it wasn't. So my imposter syndrome story takes place a few years ago, many years ago, several years ago, (laughs) in grad school. So my background was in computer engineering. So I had done a lot of studying of electronics, CPU design, parallel computing, these sorts of things. And then I was applying to essentially a biology PhD program. I had done some internships over the summer where I had done bioinformatics, so it wasn't completely out of the blue. But I certainly was pretty much the only person in the program without a background in biology. And so I felt like an imposter. So I wouldn't say I felt imposter syndrome. I because I kind of knew I just was somewhat of an imposter. Mm. I didn't have the background that everybody else had. Um,
0: But you weren't afraid that they were going to find you
1: out. Right. I I think that's because I was pretty transparent about it. I think that's kind of the key idea here is that I didn't spend time just worrying that people were going to find me out. I was just very open about my background with my professors, with my classmates, and I was... I didn't hesitate before reaching out for help.
0: Mm-hmm. And the program was very aware of your background. They were aware that you didn't have a biology background.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the people who let me in uh, were well aware of my background and my lack of biology background, but the other people in the institution were not.
0: Right, so they didn't let you in by accident. But not everyone knew. Like you could have tried to hide it from your classmates.
1: Yes. I think that would have made things much worse. Because I would have just spent all my time thinking about how not to reveal my secret. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like in some kind of sitcom. Yeah. And that's not to say that this is everyone's case of imposter syndrome. I think the reason why I didn't feel like an imposter is because it was so clear cut. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a background in the field, obviously. It wasn't going to be easy.
0: Right. Yeah, I think when we've talked about imposter syndrome in the past, because I've heard of it once again from some talk, you were often saying really? I mean, why would you feel like an imposter? Can't you just tell like, whether you are <laughs> capable enough? But you're just like, oh, if they let me in to the program by accident, well, that's clearly their fault. And if they didn't let me in by accident and I failed, then they made a poor judgment call. Right. And you'll still work hard to try to make up for a lack of background knowledge, but you're ultimately not afraid of being found out because it's obvious.
1: Yeah, it's obvious. Everybody knows. And it's clear I'm working on it.
0: Yeah, I I think that one is a really interesting case because women I have heard from who have imposter syndrome have had it over a lot less than the very clear case (laughs) that you have in your story.
1: I think that experience was almost like a vaccine for me. Because any time in the future where I feel something similar, I could be like, well, it's not as bad as this. <laughs> so, you know.
0: That's such a good point. I mean, that goes to a whole nother lesson about putting yourself out there on purpose and taking risks to do things where you might actually be an imposter on purpose. right in order to make it not feel as bad. I think maybe imposter syndrome is something that comes out of this culture we have of having to be perfect all the time mm. and having to have really good grades or you're going to fail in life. That's certainly how I felt growing up. Like, I, it wasn't my parents. It was just, like, the grades were there, and clearly, if I didn't get perfect grades, then that would be a problem. So I just worked really hard for that, right? Yeah, and I think there is this perfectionism in our culture and having to be successful is such an important part of the culture that i can definitely see imposter syndrome coming out of that as just saying what if i am not successful and it does create some kind of pressure to maybe pretend to be successful you know as soon as you get that job that was kind of a stretch for you you might think oh no what if they're going to find out that i'm not actually prepared for this what if i'm not actually good enough for this opportunity i just got
1: right and i think what you said earlier really sticks in my mind about you didn't get hired by accident it's really hard to BS your way through a job interview mm-hmm. and still get in. So if you're if you got in, you most likely belong there. Mm-hmm. Assuming you didn't lie in the interviews, but
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, that's really the thing, right? I think there's just so many times in our lives, especially early in our education, or when we're still doing education where we apply for programs and we get into them and we try really hard to apply for these programs and to get into them and then once we're finally there that's when the imposter syndrome can set in right Um, I think one thing for me that happened was when I was applying to graduate schools I knew that it was a stretch for me And I understood that some schools didn't accept me. So what happened was I was doing my biology undergrad. um, And towards the end of college, in my last summer of college, I realized I wanted to do bioinformatics instead. And so I took some computer science and math classes and so on my last year, but I knew I was playing catch up. right? but I was interested only in studying bioinformatics in graduate school. I didn't want to do wet lab work. I wanted to move purely into dry lab and do bioinformatics. So I applied to great schools knowing that I only wanted to do a graduate degree if I got into what I would consider a great school. Because right. otherwise, oh, I should just look at plan B and like try to get a job or something. I was kind of on the fence about whether I wanted to do grad school at all, so I only applied to... Uh, what I would consider like the top 10 schools I could find, and Cold Spring Harbor was one of them. Um, And when I interviewed at Cold Spring Harbor, the dean of the program asked me in my interview with him, what if this whole computational biology thing doesn't work out? I don't remember exactly how he asked it, but it sounded a little bit like well, what if you can't hack it? Like, what if you're not actually good enough to do computational biology? It right. wasn't just, what if you don't like it? It mm-hmm. was like, what if you can't handle it? So I told them, well, then this would be the perfect place for me because this program is not a bioinformatics PhD program. It is an overarching biology PhD program. So I could easily switch to molecular biology within this program and... Not even have to make a change. Whereas all the other programs I've applied to are bioinformatics specific PhD programs. Right. So I was just like, okay, like then I have a plan B, right? And Transparency. Yeah, exactly. Transparency. That's one of the points we wanted to hit on in this episode because I think that's the right way to deal with imposter syndrome. And it's not like I was saying, Like, I wasn't sitting there confiding in him that I don't feel like I belong here. Right. That I feel like everyone else in this program is smarter than me. Everyone else interviewing here is smarter than me. Which I did feel at some point. But that wasn't really something that stopped me. Because I guess I was feeling that if they let me in, it's not by accident. They they know what they're looking for in students. And different people are smart about different things. Different people are good at different things, have interesting backgrounds in different ways. And if they're letting me in, there's a reason. So I wasn't, I was actually surprised to get into that program, given how competent the other interviewees were. And that was actually a large part of the reason I decided to accept, was because I was so happy to get into it, and mm. I was so impressed with the other people interviewing there, and with their impression of the school and so on. It was it just like felt like a really high caliber place um, that I would be lucky to get into. Right, so the thing is that I wasn't saying to anybody, oh, I don't feel like I belong here, kind of looking for validation. Instead, I just acknowledged that, yeah, I might not have the level of uh, computational experience. I'm working on it. You know, clearly I'm I'm taking courses, I'm starting to like, I think I started to do some Coursera courses and stuff too, um, to try to learn some of the things that weren't available at my university even in bioinformatics, because we didn't have bioinformatics at my university, so that's why I didn't find it earlier. And I was just, I knew I was playing catch-up, and I was acknowledging that. I think that's the key, uh, It's also being specific about the types of weaknesses that you have and how you're going to make up for them instead of just saying oh i'm not prepared oh i don't belong here that's so vague yeah you can't make up for weaknesses that are vague
1: that's very true yeah you can't go around saying i don't know what i'm doing right (laughs) that doesn't sound that doesn't send a strong message
0: no and it isn't accurate right you can't just go around being like, I'm an idiot. Even yeah. if you feel like an idiot, that's just not helpful.
1: Yeah. And if you keep telling yourself that, it eats at you.
0: Yeah. you. If you're walking around being afraid to be found out constantly, it doesn't help anyone. It doesn't make up for any of your weaknesses. It doesn't help you learn. In fact, I think it really hurts learning. Um, There are definitely times that I've been more self-conscious of things I didn't understand. Uh, In fact, this happens often at work where there are people who I'm around that are very smart about either machine learning or this deep level of mathematical and statistical knowledge Hmm. that I just am nowhere near and I cannot understand most of what they're talking about. And it's easy to get in your head in those types of situations and think, wow, I have no idea what's going on. I clearly don't belong here. And you can get distracted by that. Right. I think what helps me in those situations is knowing that I do have some expertise that I, that my team needs, which is not necessarily something that everybody else has. I might think that the things that they know are more advanced than what I know, but I still have something to contribute.
1: Yeah. And I feel like as you get more senior in your career and you have a larger number of things that you could point at that you've built, I feel like it gets a little bit easier to be transparent about what you do know and what you don't know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The more senior you get, the easier it is, yeah. I found that because I had had some success already when I was interviewing at Google and reached the team matching stage, I very openly said, you know I don't know machine learning, right? And I could just joke <laughs> about that. Like, yeah. you know I don't have a lot of experience in machine learning, not like all of you smart people clearly do. And they're just like, yeah, I, we know that. And, you know, we expect that you'll probably grow in that area when you join our team, but ultimately we want you for your genomics and visualization expertise, not because you're an expert in machine learning. We have those already. Yeah, we already have experts in machine learning. Google's crawling with them and (laughs) there's just, you know, that's not what they needed from me. So I do think that it, it helped me because. You know, clearly as I was joking about it during team matching, I was I was kind of like making sure that they knew because I don't want to walk into a situation where they expect me to be an expert in machine learning and get yeah, disappointed. Right. So I do want to be open with them about it. And joking about it was a good way to go, I think. Um, just for me to clear that out of my mind so that I don't have to get in my head about it later. I had another story about interviewing at grad schools where I was interviewing at redacted and they gave us a algorithms test. I'm sorry what? On paper. A 1 hour test asking us questions about algorithms that have that are not even biology problems it was things like you have a line of coins and there's a game where you have to pick a coin from either the left side or the right side of this line of coins and can you be guaranteed to have a higher total value of coins if you get to pick first and i had to come up with an algorithm for determining this and explain my answer, and things like this. And so I had just taken Intro to Computer Science right, and was in the first month or so of my Data Structures course, which was barely covering algorithms. Like, I had just learned about the concept of Big O. Right. And here I was taking an entire algorithms wow. test. And they justified this by saying that... You know, a lot of our graduates go on to join companies like Google. So we want you to be prepared for those interviews. Well, guess what? Now I work at Google. So I did pass those interviews and the Google interviews are literally friendlier than that algorithms test I took. Yeah. It was not a good experience and I could have felt very bad about that. It helped that. I'd already gotten into a few others that I really liked, including Cold Spring Harbor, where I ended up going. Uh, But also I thought it's definitely their fault for letting me come to the interview weekend at all. I still don't know how to approach that coin problem. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Robert, do you have any more recent stories about how you feel now that you are less of an imposter?
1: This reminds me of a conference I went to a few years ago where I was giving a talk and you know, I was hanging out in the hallway with a bunch of other people. And one person was talking about this technology uh, that I had not really heard of, but everyone else seemed to be nodding their heads in agreement. And I figured, you know, I don't know what this is. So I'm just going to ask. And I did. He explained what it was. And then all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, everyone else had follow-up questions. Um, Despite them nodding along, it turns out they also didn't know what it was.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I, at first, it was a bit of a bad feeling to be like, how do I not know this? But I figured, you know, I'm a speaker here. I have a speaker badge. (laughs) It'll be fine. Like, I have cover.
0: Right. You have a, you have some kind of emblem on you that says, I am not an idiot.
1: Right. Yeah. I think as we each get further along in our career, it's our duty. If we feel like we don't understand something and there are more junior people there, it's your responsibility to bring it up because chances are they're also thinking it, but they're a little bit shy. Mm -hmm. and don't want to admit they don't know things.
0: Yeah. And they might think that something super basic that they should know. Yeah. It's one of the things when you're more junior, you don't know what is super basic versus what is super advanced or niche. It's really hard to kind of tell the difference. That also gets into this point of being able to accurately evaluate your own skill level. Yes. That is itself a skill, especially when you're on a team doing bioinformatics work in this field, which is so interdisciplinary, it is important for the team to know what they can depend on you on, what you are actually an expert in versus what you're not an expert in. Yes. So on my team, for instance, I am not the top person in machine learning, and I am very clear with people about that. I might joke about it a little bit once in a while (laughs) when I'm talking to one of my teammates who knows way more about machine learning. And I. I will always preface what I'm saying because I've been the tech lead on the team. So I know that if I make suggestions, they'll think, oh, Maria said this, I should do this. So I'm very careful to kind of preface that I don't actually know what I'm talking about. And I joke about that. And then I give a vague idea based on something I heard somewhere. And sometimes it still actually helps. So I don't have to completely keep my mouth shut. I think if I, didn't know my skill level accurately, I could get my team going on a wild goose chase. Mm. We can work together better knowing each other's strengths and weaknesses, areas of expertise and areas in which we want to learn more.
1: Right. And I think it's really important to hone that skill of being able to tell what you're good at and what you're not. Because I feel like almost by definition, if you have imposter syndrome. Usually it's because you have a mismatched view of what you do know.
0: So the way to solve imposter syndrome is not to just tell yourself everyone feels imposter syndrome, but to get an accurate appraisal of your skill level.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think you need to have people in your life or in in your job who you can trust. Mm -hmm. You can ask for feedback and trust their opinion and that they're not just telling you everything's fine.
0: Mhm. Yeah, if you come to your manager and just say, Oh, I'm feeling imposter
1: syndrome Yeah, that does not help. The the only response there is, what no, you're not an imposter. There's just the conversation ends there. And so like you mentioned earlier, you have to bring the specifics.
0: Mhm. Yeah.
1: Say I don't feel like I'm strong enough in this particular area how would you recommend I could improve on that point yeah now that is a conversation worth having
0: yeah totally I think it's also worth making sure that you continue to challenge yourself we don't want to end up in a state where everything we do feels comfortable like we've done it multiple times before, we know exactly what we're doing. I think when you're in a scientific field, that's just not good enough. Like we should be challenging ourselves to go out of our comfort zone more often. Mm. Otherwise there's no innovation. True. I think it's easy after you have been on the cutting edge for a while, to take a step back and just rely on the skills that you built for instance right after you've gotten out of school any educational program is probably pushing you to learn a lot of new things
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and that's something that you can then capitalize on sometimes for years until you suddenly get to a point where you realize that you haven't learned that much new stuff lately Mm. and maybe it's time to go back into learning mode um, we talk about this in machine learning as explore versus exploit. You want to spend some time exploring the environment. Let's say like, you're just like a squirrel looking for food or something, right? You want to spend some time going into new areas, looking for new trees with good nuts on them, but you also want to spend some time harvesting the nuts that you found already. Hmm. So it's basically, like that the same is in machine learning of course where you want to explore the space of possible solutions to a problem but you also want to look into each solution enough to find the local minimum within that area the minimum of the cost function Uh yes (laughs) so in our lives and in our careers i I think we have the same thing where it's important to learn new things and then to take those skills and apply them to something, a sort of cycle or balance of learning new things and then using those new things for projects.
1: That's interesting. And how do you balance those two?
0: Poorly. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think right now I've been at a point where I have been exploiting for a few years. Oh,
1: I, I meant how does one balance these two?
0: Well, what, what do you think? I don't know. How do you think we should balance those two? Poorly. (laughs) We should balance them poorly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's hard because when you have acquired a skill and you can milk it for all it's worth, that's a good feeling. Mm -hmm. And then having to go back to the uncertainty of learning something you don't know can be difficult, Uh, but maybe one thing you could do is try to combine the two. So try to tackle projects at work where you're gonna need your existing skills, but eventually something's gonna come up that you can't just rely on the same skills
0: yeah, I think that's a good way to continue to challenge ourselves because the other side of that balance, like the other way to be imbalanced is to explore too much and never exploit.
1: Ah, yes. That
0: means you're taking a bunch of courses or you're reading a lot of papers. Yes. But you're never writing your own papers hmm. or writing any software of your own outside of like tutorials or you keep re-implementing things from a paper, you're just learning and learning and learning. And that would clearly be too much. Yeah. So yeah, clearly finding a balance there is important, but I think the reason we brought that up here is that there's always going to be some discomfort when you are learning new things. And I think there's a healthy level of discomfort that we need to stay at in order to achieve any kind of innovation in a scientific field, like bioinformatics. And one of the ways to do that is to keep working with people who are smarter than you in yeah. some area mm. so you know you might say oh but that's where i feel imposter syndrome well embrace it right embrace the feeling of not being the smartest person in the room
1: right and maybe realize that there is no smartest person in the room yes because it's not a continuum where you go from zero to 100 It's There's a million axes on which different people are experts in different things.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now it's good if you do have something to contribute where you are at least pretty good at something. So there's a balance there. Yes. I'm not going to go work at CERN. I have nothing to contribute at CERN, you know? Okay, so do we feel like we've covered imposter syndrome. Yes. Totally.
1: Case closed.
0: One could get into a meta topic of whether we are good enough to talk about imposter syndrome.
1: <laughs> that is true.
0: Are we actually qualified to talk well, about this?
1: Let's apply our own advice here and be transparent that we are not qualified
0: cool so we done yep i think so cool do we know what the next episode is going to be yet we do not no we do not
1: stop making promises (laughs) yeah let's stop
0: making promises (laughs) all right subscribe and please rate this podcast in your favorite podcast app or all of them if you know what they are we don't yet we'll figure it out Mm. so we can cross post it
1: everywhere So I think this is the end of the podcast. We would like to personally thank all four of you for listening in. And we will see you next time.